Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. everybody, I'm David Harney, President and Chief Operating Officer for Great West Life Co. Europe. Um, so that covers our businesses in the United Kingdom, uh, Germany and Ireland. We provide uh, life and pension products to uh, customers uh, all over the world as, as, well, of, as well as Europe. Um, I'm your interviewee today, so welcome to our Inspiring Leadership series, and I'll introduce you now to my interviewer and your host, uh, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Thank you very much indeed, David. It's lovely to have you on the series, and our dear friend, Oliver Johnson, uh, who's taught me so much over the years, and I, I look as something of a mentor to me and a good friend. He said, you've got to have David on. He's, he's so engaging. He's fun. He's just, he's just a, a great guy. And so lovely to have you on the series. Let's uh, go straight back to, to childhood, David. And, uh, you know, who was it? What events happened to you in what is, to most people, a normal life? But they're things that shaped you. What made you the leader you are today as president and COO? Yeah, I suppose we're we're going back uh, quite quite a bit now, and um, like I think people will will pick up from my accent uh, that I'm I'm Irish, and so um, you know I've I've I grew up in Ireland, I've lived in in Ireland, and I'm part of a global uh, group now, but but my job is 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 out of Dublin. Um, you know, Ireland has has changed a lot uh, over the years as well. Like it's it's amazing how it's changed over my lifetime. It's it's transformed from being one of the poorer countries, uh, maybe when I was growing up in Europe, to, to one of the wealthier countries. So that that transformation um, has been incredible. Um, it's it's a very sort of young society and population as well by by European standards, you know. So um, you know, so I, I feel like I've grown up with a, with a whole a sort of generation of Irish people that that have seen that that transformation over time. And um, so I suppose for myself, like I, I grew up in the middle of the country, um, in a, in a small sort of town, and and I lived. Um, just on a, on a small farm outside of that. Um, I'm the oldest of a sort of large Irish Catholic family, so I'm, I'm the oldest of, of seven children. Um, very sort of normal middle-class uh, background. My, my dad was a policeman and we had a small farm then as well that, that we ran. Um, you know, I'd say my parents were sort of hardworking, but, but sort of very fun and, and entrepreneurial uh, people. Um, you know, so we, we had a great time and, and a fun experience uh, growing up. Um, very closely, tightly knit family. And, and I was just gonna, I was wondering, there was a lovely program called The Guard, about the guard of the, the Irish police. And uh, there's a real character in that, it's such an engaging thing. But, but when I've been to visit my uh, Irish relations and they're over in the West Donegal, but we always come in through Dublin. Um, it, it's lovely when the family gets together 
because there's like 40 people in a room and everybody's speaking and no one's listening. It's just chaos. Is that like it when you all get together with all your relations? Yeah, that, that, that was a great movie. Yeah, it, it is It is quite like that, you know, and, and I suppose just on, on guards and policemen, like they, they are very connected in, into the community. Um, and then yeah, there's there's the the, the family is, is is a big thing in Ireland. So you know, my, my own family were quite close as well. And even both my parents are from large families as well. And then there's the whole network of of cousins and 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 all of that. Um so yeah, it is it's it's a part of life in Ireland, all right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 who were the people as you grew up that sort of influenced you, maybe role models? I mean, some people have had uh, one lady I was talking to, she had nobody who was a role model and she was desperate not to be like people in her family. She wanted to get away from that and, and couldn't connect with them. But did you have people, whether it be, I don't know, priests at school or, or um, parents or grandparents who, who influenced you and gave you belief in yourself? Yeah, it was it was probably more more the family itself and the background. So certainly there was no there was no um, force of of running away from the family or, or trying to mark out and do something different. Um, you know, like our, Ireland is a very even society. Um, like I, I think within my own family and the influence, um, like probably my mother was quite a strong influence. Um, you know, as I said, they were both very entrepreneurial and and fun loving, but but education was was a huge influence. And then, even as I look back and reflect now, I didn't think about it too much at the time. But even in that broader family and their own families, like that, that was a very strong sort of ethos there. And you know, look if I look at you know just all of my cousins now, you know, university and education and doing well academically was very important. And, and you know, they've all been quite successful. And, and you know I've had good careers and jobs so certainly even though it was a very relaxed and and uh, comfortable environment there was an emphasis on education and there was no pressure but there was an expectation that you were going to achieve as well you know so so that was always there you know it was just taken for granted that you would work hard at school and, and that you would achieve and be successful in in, in time yeah 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 and and now you're in the current role what are the steps you've made to get there once you got through school and did you go to university and and, and what were the steps that you got to your current role? Um, yeah, so I didn't go to university, um, but that was, so I did, I, I trained as an actuary. So that was, you had a choice really of, of maybe doing maths or something like that in university or doing an actuarial apprenticeship, if you like, with, with a life company. So, so I, I did the actuarial apprenticeship regime. So, you know, I did very well in school and I suppose that's probably where my competitive spirit got, got born or whatever, you know, um, again, you probably don't realize it at the time you just look back and, and and you see that but um you know I, I was good in school but then I like to do well and, and that motivated me uh to, to to work hard in school and do well um so yeah I joined Irish Life in 1986 as as a trainee actually and and trained and, and qualified with Irish Life so I started off then you know in a it's it's quite a technical uh, profession you know so I started off very much as a technician and worked in in the actuarial sphere largely for the first decade of my career and then gradually branched out from that into more into more general management i ended up doing a huge variety of roles you know so from that actuarial background sort of gradually into more broader finance roles yeah 
Yeah, and and uh, friends of mine who are actuaries always tease themselves, and they say, "Yeah, we're we're just boring accountants," you know, and, and they always take the ribbon and themselves. But what are the skills of being an actuary in those early days? I mean, it's quite different now because a lot of things have been automated. But but what what were the key skills that you learned that's helped you as a leader? Yeah, the skills they're still the same. So automation hasn't hasn't changed, and uh, the, the core skills, and I suspect that's the same in a lot of of professions as well. So um. Yeah, like it, it is. It is a profession that has similarities with, with accounting. Like I, I suppose with accounting, um, like it obviously goes across all industries, and it's about recording of profits and and the balance sheet and and presenting that out to the various stakeholders. Like actuarial is is much more specialised, and it's it's focused in on insurance, and it's really about assessing the sort of long term liabilities of of insurance companies and making sure that we have the resources to to meet those commitments over time yeah and 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 has the world become more risky and therefore things have to more things have to be insured and more things go wrong and so maybe companies can lose a lot of money if they're insuring things i mean Um, i i I always have this feel that it's a bit like the casinos in las vegas that the, the the insurance companies are smart enough to realize that they never really lose they're all otherwise they go out of business i mean what's what's your sense yeah, there's a huge variety, and, and like we might touch on some of it uh, later on in the interview, just even over the, the spheres of work. Like, there's a huge variety. Like, a lot of our industry is is helping people save for retirement. You know, so there's there's no real risk there. Like, um, yeah, you know, we're just encouraging people to uh, to save and invest uh, sensibly over the long term and, and diversify their their investments and all of that. Um, in the insurance sphere, then there's a huge range. Again, like life insurance is pretty easy to predict. Events like COVID aside now, which are which are quite rare, but you know, when you, when you have a population that's large enough, if unfortunately we can judge fairly well the number of people that are going to die and how long people are going to live and that. So so things like that are not that risky. But then you will get into spheres like property casualty insurance hurricane insurance like mm. those things are incredibly risky and things like that are probably getting more risky given climate change and things like that but yeah yeah and and one, one of the people that's coming on uh, shortly uh, sharon peacock who's uh, leads the covid response team at that 600 team um she's saying look this is an endemic we've got both um covid with there'll be other variants of it coming after delta uh, and we've got influenza, which is going to come back more more severely than it has for many years. So surely those two factors, I suppose perhaps more people are killed in road traffic accidents, but mm-hmm. but surely those two are things that are going to have to be factored in, that, that they're going to be with us for a while yet. Is, is that the case, do you think? Uh, I I think it is now. Like th- there's lots of factors that, that drive mortality and... COVID aside now, mortality in general has has been improving. And, and I think I think when we look at sort of aggregate mortality, like certainly there was a bump in 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 in, in the COVID period. I suspect there won't be a bump as as we progress along. You know, there'll maybe a little bit, but but generally the trend of improvements will will cancel it out. Like the thing that's been amazing with COVID, let let run unchecked, it would be catastrophic. And mm. um, the thing that's amazing is just how the world has mobilized and actually 
you know, even before the vaccines, even just to shut down the economies to protect people, like it was utterly amazing that that yeah. happened. Yeah, it did protect people and, and did protect, um, you know, what COVID might have done if it was left unchecked. Yeah, very, very true. Um, thank you for that, David. So, so from your upbringing and, and what you're doing now, um, looking back over your life, what, what's perhaps been your proudest moment and what's been a darkest moment in your personal life and a darkest moment in your work? Um, yeah, I suppose my proudest moment is, I suppose, selfishly, my my career. Um, you know, like I, I describe myself as a sort of accidental CEO or, or president uh, to use to use the North American uh, term, you know, so I'm not you know, I think I'm naturally competitive and and ambitious. Um, you know, but I I started off as naturally was was very happy to get into financial services. I, I don't know if I ever saw myself, you know, being in the position and that that I am. So like I am very sort of proud of of my career and and I have enjoyed that. Um, like in in my personal life, then I'm I'm married to Breed and and we have three boys. They're they're fourteen, uh, twelve, and ten. So you know, like all parents are. They're very proud of their family, and I suppose it's it's just our nature to to invest um, ourselves a lot in that. But you know, um, you know, I, I had a very sort of happy family life myself growing up, and, and I'm I'm very happy to live in in a very happy family environment now as well. So again, that's that's something I'm I'm proud of. Mm, that's that's lovely. And what about the dark moments in work and in personal life? Has anything you know? Because as they say, you know, in life, as Seneca says, you know, he who's not had any setbacks or disappointments has never been tested yet. You know, it, it's it is quite a testing moment when you have a dark moment in your personal life or in your work. What would you share? Yeah, my, my career has been positive. Like we we all make mistakes during our career, but like I'd I'd have no sort of standout errors or difficulties I think you know the, the normal things uh, that, that people get wrong from time to time um, and then you know my personal life has been has been very positive as well because was that there has you know anybody who lives in a big family will will always have sort of difficulties or whatever um, you know and, and there has been some personal tragedy probably in 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 my own family so my mother's mother uh, died um, when she was 13 and she was left um, bringing up um, some of her younger siblings and um, you know we were very close to those two of those were diagnosed with uh, Huntington's disease in their in their 40s and you know that that's an awful disease um, mm. and actually my uncle uh, he just passed away now last week uh, from that you know so it's it's been sort of very sad to watch the progression of that uh, over time you know so mm. um mm. you know so i think all families will have sort of personal difficulties like that you know so yeah yeah no well i'm i'm sorry for that because it, it it's it's very tough when there's a, a disease in the family and when people you know and care about pass away um, I, I think it was a good point you made about sort of, I'm really pleased that you haven't had any major sort of career dramas, but this point about learning from our mistakes. Uh, let me ask you a question. When, when was the last time personally you were wrong? You know, just, just give me an idea. Days, weeks, when was it? Think of a time you were last personally wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> I was wrong 15 minutes ago. I was down with my wife. Uh, we were just putting in some milk into the microwave to heat up for coffee. And uh, I'm always told 
cover everything when it goes into the microwave, and but apparently you're not supposed to cover the milk so much. <laughs> I, feel like I, make, I feel like I make mistakes uh, all the time. Um, but I suppose you mean more in business. In work, in or, business, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do, like, I, I do make mistakes all the time in work, and I'm very comfortable doing that, you know, so I'm not afraid to sort of take risks and, and just put myself out there. Like, I, I like to create a sort of... Um, like informal isn't the right word, but just an, an honest atmosphere. Um, and I don't mind leading by example, making mistakes. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't, yeah. You know, like we, we get things wrong all the time. Like sometimes we appoint people into different roles. Um, you know, there's one that probably strikes me. We, we it's gone back a little while. We, we were uh, inviting people to come forward for, for a role and, there was one lady, Eunice Streelan, if she's ever listening to it, and we sort of discouraged her from coming forward. And I don't really know why, looking back on it, it was crazy. You know, she subsequently got into another role and is just doing really well at it. But that, that was quite a big mistake, and she could have been discouraged and left the organisation mm. as a result. You know, so like a lot of our decisions as leaders are small, sort of common sense decisions, and but you often get them wrong and, and make silly mistakes. Yeah. yeah, it's very true. And, and I, I think the bit of advice I was was given which is you know uh, when was the last time you personally were wrong we just talked about this how quickly did you realize it and and how quickly did you resolve it and did you see it and use it as a teachable moment rather than jumping all over someone else or berating yourself and go okay didn't work out but learning what have i learned what am i going to do differently is, is that a, an attitude you tend to take about learning and action and teachable moments yeah i, I think so like like sometimes um yeah, I, I think you, you you often have a gut instinct. It's amazing. You probably know some sometimes even as you're making the mistake, but but you choose not to listen to it because you're you're just on a path or whatever, and there's a momentum that that's carrying you. Um, and I think you know you, you do reflect you do reflect afterwards and try and think like what was it that that caused uh, that caused that to happen. Um, mm. I heard an interesting story recently, like I suppose IT pro programs, like certainly in financial services and, and probably in a lot of big industries like me are something that, that we struggle with and, and get wrong over time. And I heard an interesting analogy on that recently and it, it, it compared to two sort of the electrification of, of railways that are happening in, in, in the UK and, and Germany and all countries around the world. But, but Germany have sort of really stuck doggedly to this over a long period of time and, and have been successful on it. Whereas I think the UK have been more stop start. And it's usually because the program goes wrong at the start and people get discouraged uh, by the mistakes and give up on it. Um, but actually the learning out of that is you actually you nearly need to get it wrong at the start because it takes time to build up the experience and that. And we've seen that with some big IT programs that have gone badly wrong. So you could get discouraged and pulled back from those, but actually as they go wrong, you need to you need to double down and just be really committed and, and follow through with them and, and just realise things will go wrong initially. Yeah, you're so right. And I think uh, the, the person who can work out how to roll out massive IT programs. I mean, I think of the NHS trying to uh, have a connected IT network with everybody's patient records and uh, some yeah. years ago, and it cost millions, I think perhaps even billions, and they then had to pull the plug on it because it all had gone wrong. Um, if you can get that right, you're on a bit of a winner. Um, thinking about learning, 
and uh, you learning from your life. Uh, how old are you now, David, if I may ask you? Um, I'm 52. 52, still, still a young man. And mm -hmm. uh, I think back to when I was 52 some years ago. But well, I have noticed, yeah, <laughs> things start to creak now <laughs> and go things, wrong. A things start to creak. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I'm going to the hospital again with a creaky bit uh, on Friday. But um, if, you, if you go back to when you were 16 to 18 years old and give yourself a bit of wisdom advice, now you're 52 and you say, I wouldn't do that, but this does matter. Looking back, now you've learned to, from, from your successes and mistakes. What would you say to the young David Harney then? What bit of advice would you give? Um, I wouldn't have too many regrets. Like, like it probably, I'd say one thing that's interesting. Like, obviously, I trained as an actuary, so you know, my my sort of education and training was was very sort of structured around that, and and did take a lot of did take a lot of uh, work and effort and and commitment. I would say career wise, through my twenties, I you know, if you'd look at my sort of peer group at the time and picked out who was going to be in my role, you wouldn't you wouldn't have picked me. So I certainly had a fairly relaxed attitude uh, during my 20s and enjoyed the, the social life in, in Dublin and, and traveling around. So and I, I don't know whether that's that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, it's probably a good thing because I think our careers and lives are long, you know, and I don't think you need to worry too early about about the, the career ladder or, or whatever. Um, but that said, like I still took my work seriously and all of that, you know, but but it certainly there was there was a very healthy balance mm. in my life at that stage. I probably started like obviously I was good academically, so I, I do have an interest in in learning and topics. You know, I, I love maths, um, but I loved English as well as a subject. I love Latin as a subject. Um, you know, so it's funny then as I got older, I probably got back into some of that learning and like one of the great advances as well now is just all the resources we have access to and and how easy it is to access you know courses just in different universities online and all of that so I found myself getting back into that as I get older and I probably look back should I did I waste some of my 20s and should I have tapped into some of that a bit earlier and and, and the one thing I probably do regret is you know we talk about languages and all of that and I'm useless at languages but um but I do regret that I didn't I didn't teach myself how to code and um, just on computers because mm. that is a language and it's probably just such an important one and you know I love artificial intelligence and things like that but as you get into those courses now it's very hard to get too far without having some coding capability on Python or whatever. And so mm. that's a very small practical piece of advice, but um, I certainly I would encourage people to, to learn how to code because I think yeah. it opens up so many doors. Yeah, I think you're so right. And uh, my daughter's now, uh, both of them are in tech companies, one's in Ocado and the other one's and digital. And, and they're learning coding because it's just so useful to them in their twenties that will serve them well. Let's go yeah. around the Inspiring Leadership Compass next. And th this compass was designed around what makes high-performing leaders and teams. Uh, and if we begin with MQ, which is the moral quotient, your integrity, your values, your beliefs, what you will and won't do, what, what are still your top three foundational values uh, that, and beliefs and principles that you live by that you've been brought up with? What would you share uh, quickly, the, the top three? Um, I think it's 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 a sort of integrity and um, 
and service um, and, and and maybe teamwork as well or something. You know, like I, I mentioned growing up in Ireland and it, it is just a very even society. And I think there's, a, you know, and I think that's carried through somehow into my into my corporate life. So so I, I do believe, you know, you are working for companies and, you know, like I work in a very established industry and, and lots of other people will as well. And, and those industries are usually serving society in some way, you know, so I, I do have a real connection to the importance of um, the work we do and how it helps our customers, you know, so I, I think, you know, people often say the shareholder is the number one stakeholder. I, I really don't believe that, you know, like it's 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 your role and your purpose within society and, and what a company does to serve that society is 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 the most important thing. So first and foremost, it's it's you're serving your customers. And then if you do that well, you know, shareholders and people who work in the company will be will be well rewarded. Um, so, you know, yeah. those values all connect back to that somehow. They do. Uh, and I, I would agree with you. And, and I like Richard Branson, who begins by looking after his staff. So they're motivated, inspired to then look after their customers, which then gets the profits. And I, I think that's really great. The second one, as we move around the compass, um, is PQ, which is purpose, meaning uh, and, and why you do what you do, your, your, co your calling, your vocation, um, Dharma, if you, uh, if you were Indian. Why do you do what you do, David? What gives your life meaning and purpose? Yeah, it's a hard question. Um, like, it's a very hard question. Like, it's, some of it's accidental. So, like I did say to start, I described myself fairly as an accidental president. And, you know, I had a feeling when I was young that actuarial would be a good career. And I followed that. And then that led into things, you know. So I, I do feel sometimes, I don't know how consciously I make decisions sometimes. Like you just drift along and I'm open and I, I get asked uh, to do things. Um, so and I, I mentioned reading in English and things like that. And like King Lear is, is probably my favorite piece of mm -hmm. literature. And a lot of that play is, is about her nature and purpose. Um, but but the great thing about Shakespeare is he doesn't answer it. Um, yeah. and so I, I don't think there is an answer. I think it is in our nature to be busy and active and, and do things. And I think you have to find something to occupy your life. Um, and and that's uh, I think that's a very important part to being happy. But I wouldn't go to purpose much beyond that. So. Uh, it's interesting. You remind me of Field Marshal, the Lord Inge, who I was his, his bag carrier, uh, often got beaten around the head metaphorically for being pretty incompetent as his assistant. Uh, at least, uh, unlike my two uh, sad previous uh, occupants of the role, uh, who he fired um, without any remorse. Um, but working for him, I said, you know, how come you became the head of the army? He said, well, I sort of all by accident, really. I just sort of did my job well, and the next one came along. Uh, that was a little unfair. I knew him to be, like you, competitive and highly ambitious, and he was always looking for the next one and the next one. Uh, and, uh, and then he took on as a constable of the Tower of London when he uh, went to the House of Lords. So it is interesting how people often say it's by accident, complete accident, but there is always that little that little un under underlying thread of a, a quite clear path. But looking back, we can make sense of our lives. But when we're younger, we just think, oh, I'll try this and see what yeah. happens. Um, yeah. Going on to the third one, which is health quotient. Um, health, uh, well-being, meaning, purpose uh, are, are linked. But but I think of health, your mental and your physical health and well-being. What, 
what are you doing to look after now at 52 your physical health and what are you doing to look after your mental health but also the mental health of the people who work for you um yeah like i've, I've reasonable balance in my life um i like i'd say like a lot of people um like i, I try and manage my health so i try and have a reasonably good diet um try and go to the gym but on both of those are probably trying you know like I try to have a reasonably good diet but I still wish it was better than it was and I'm a member of the gym but I wish I was going a bit more often than I than I am um my my, my three young boys keep me pretty active you know so so they're involved in in sports and and I help out on that a little bit as best I can and then I play a bit of golf so you know that gives me a reasonably balanced active life and um, you know working at home through COVID I just try and do my 10,000 steps every day and by and large do a good job on that so you know um, mm. all pretty normal sensible stuff and um, I've always managed to delegate well in work and, and not be sort of overloaded and I've never had any problems uh, sleeping or anything like that and um, so you know again and I've I would say I have a very sort of positive attitude and outlook. So, you know, if I had to score myself on mental health, and I know it's a huge issue, but you know, I'd 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 say it's it's quite strong. I did find this year though very tough, probably the hardest year I found. And some of it was COVID, and some of it was just workload. I was covering the European role as well as the UK role. So, you know, I, I did get maybe a little bit of insight into just what it is to struggle a little bit. It was the first time I had some trouble sleeping and things like that. And I, I did find that hard. So it's, it's a very important area to manage. And, you know, organisations now, it's it's a great thing over the last number of years, just we've become much more aware on, on mental well-being and, you know, organize. Still not sure we figured out how to help people, but certainly we're more comfortable talking about it and, and raising it as an issue. Yeah, uh, it, it's something which we can never... Um overlook or underestimate at our cost um, and the two are so inextricably linked thank you for that uh, eq is the next area emotional social intelligence using your emotions well not losing it uh, understanding and reading other people what's a tip that you found because you, you got very good emotional touch i found you very easy to build rapport with so you, you combine the sort of the math side and the iq of the actuary but with the the EQ, the emotional intelligence. What, what, what's a tip that you found about getting on with people uh, using yeah, your emotions? Like, uh, so, like I suppose for anyone who works in in big organisations, you know, we we all get sort of tested on lots of things and and go on courses and that. So, so like the one thing I've learned on my EQ is it's average at best, you know. So it is not something I I excel at at, at all. Um, so just there's probably just some some learned things over over my career um you know so but but in and in big organizations to be successful it is very important to, to work well with people and and get on with people so you know i think yeah you have to just try and, and make space and, and try and listen and understand where people are coming from and certainly i made mistakes on that early on in my career and so in the leading of projects and things like that, I was leading with my own agenda and not and not listening, you know. So certainly as a leader now, you, you try to be slower, um, listen, um, you know, not not lead with your own opinion and, and things like that. Yeah. I, I think that's really well placed. And I think two of the greatest skills that I am constantly having to work on, and I know all the other CEOs that I 
tend to coach and work with, it's, it's one for them. The first one is being utterly present with people. And I think of mm. Princess Diana and the Queen, who I was lucky enough to meet each of them, only on both occasions for short periods of time, but they were so good at being really present. And, and, and you then feel listened and understood. And so in your role as president and COO, if you can be really present with people on videos or in, in person, it makes a massive difference. And the second yeah. one is the quality of the questions that you ask. And, and it's not about you necessarily downloading all your wisdom and experience, but, but asking them a question so they think for themselves. What's, what's your thoughts about those two? Yeah, that, that strikes me as, as very true. And even if I think back to some of the best uh, leaders that I would have worked with, um, yeah, particularly that that asking the right questions. And I suppose that shows the real presence and engagement. And, and you know that they sort of taught deeply about the subject then as well. But, and then it was ab- absolutely giving you the, the opportunity to, to, to shine on it. So, so, so that's, that's, that, that, that's a very good one. Yeah. I suppose the other one maybe as well is, is just, it's probably balance as well. Like it's funny, you know, like there's some very evil leaders in the world in the past, yep. but they've been very charismatic. Um, and I always thought an interesting bit, like people do like to understand and know you as a person. And sometimes, sometimes it takes, and sometimes you only show that through anger or vulnerability and somehow, you know, so everything being very controlled isn't good either. So, you know, like I'm quite measured as a person now and I don't lose my temper, but, um, but sometimes getting angry about something is, you know, it's, it's funny all these different things because I think people like seeing that in some ways because they really get to see, well, actually, this is really who the person is, you know, and, and, and that's when you're when you're showing who you are as well. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you made me think, uh, I'm just doing the forward for a friend's book, Jeff Nishwitz, it's coming out, uh, Snow Globe Shaker, and he was uh, also on the podcast earlier on and, and well worth listening to. Jeff uh, has a lot of wisdom, uh, and I respect him as a fellow coach. But he said something which I thought was quite profound, which is that um, it's what your organisation tolerates. It's, it's what and who you tolerate. That sends the bar, sets the bar for the culture of the organisation. And as you look back over your career, have you come across occasions when you know that they tolerated certain unhealthy, toxic behavior or allowed things to go on, which really undermined the fine words that they were saying? Have you ever come across that? Because I certainly have. Yeah, I think I think that happens all right. Like we all sort of see leaders, um, you know, who are very successful and manage their business as well, but but probably have a style with their people you wouldn't like or whatever, and that that can get tolerated. Um, you know, so so that 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 happens and continues to happen. I think you know. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one. Yeah. No. And then then you'll have other things. You know. Like I've certainly seen people who are very sort of entrepreneurial and free thinkers and, and they and it, they find big organizations hard to work in and fit in as well. And it's it's a pity to lose people like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that brings me beautifully on to the next one, which is CQ, which is cultural and collective intelligence and, and, mm. and wisdom uh, and about diversity, equality and inclusion and accepting people who are different and diverse. What's what's your tip about? trying to you know get as, as diverse an organization as you can because I don't have an impression that that the actuarial world is that it didn't always traditionally be that diverse but maybe it's now becoming much more diverse what have you done to make things more diverse and inclusive 
Yeah, it's 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 very important area, and if anything, the the actuarial profession, um, like it's it's diverse in, in a lot of ways, you know, across um, race, gender, and lots of things like that. But 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 obviously, it does still attract into the profession a lot of people who excel academically in school and, and are good at math. So it does pull out of the same pool, and that's a question probably the profession is starting to ask itself a little bit now. Um, like certainly within, um, within our, within our company. And, and again, I think it's a fantastic thing. You know, we're, we're not particularly special, uh, on this topic as a company, but, but just diversity, equality, inclusion now are, are very much to the fore in how we manage and run our businesses. And, you know, it, it just, it really goes to a core of, you want to maximize the talent in the organization and you want to maximize then the contribution that, that you have from the talent in the organization. So it's, it's a sort of no brainer of an, of an agenda for, for companies. Um, I think probably the thing myself, like I mentioned, like Ireland is not a very diverse country, although, you know, although interesting now, nearly 20% of the population have been born outside of the country, but that's mostly, mostly from Europe. Um, and I grew up in a very sort of homogenous um, society. Um, but interestingly, it was one then where, even though it was very homogenous, people were very equal. Um, and there was an expectation that everybody had something to give, you know, so so that's certainly the attitude I have in my workplace. Like, in some ways, I think it's strange that we're having this debate because is that not just the way everything is and the way it should be? But but I do realize it is a debate and there are biases there that we have to tackle. So like really what you want is you do want everybody to have an equal opportunity and feel comfortable and, and make their contribution. And the world just shouldn't be can't be anything else like so mm. no it, it, it's always going to be work in progress and there's so much to be done you know uh, of course blind spots yours and mine uh I, I i i laughed the other day when someone said yeah i'm aware of my blind spots and i go no that's an oxymoron it's a blind spot you aren't aware of it because it's a blind spot and until you get 360 you go no that's not me and and, and that's always interesting yeah, just a, I think that's an important one because we're all aware of unconscious bias and aware of it as a term, but I don't think we internalize it. Like unconscious bias means we're, there's things we can't see and that's all of us, you know. And I think some of that then goes to why maybe quotas and targets and that, even though they're uncomfortable. But if you accept that there's unconscious bias there, you do mm. need forces to, to counteract that. So and certainly that's why I'd be in favor of quotas and targets and, and things like that. Yeah. I think um, I agree with you, actually. You've got to do something to to disrupt and, and shake up the system because otherwise you get more of what you've always got. And, yeah. and as Einstein said, that the level at which you can solve a problem is different from the level at which you created it in the first place. You have to think differently. Yeah. Shake yeah. things up. Um, resilience is the next one. RQ, coping with adversity, setbacks, disappointments. What... Um, what, if, what tip would you give about, about resilience to overcome setbacks and disappointments? Um, I think, like, if you can, certainly if you can be forward-looking, and, and that's probably, it, it goes to a nature thing, you know, like, so some people are just more forward-looking, um, and, and there's pros and cons of all, but certainly if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're naturally forward-looking as a person, you're, you're just going to be resilient because, 
no matter what happens and you get a setback, you will just look to, well, okay, you know, where where am I aiming to and and what's the path to that? So and I, I think I have that and it, it does it does make me resilient. Um but then as I said, like I did find this year tougher. Um like like I think having friends and resources and being able to share things with people then is 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 very important. Um and and just having having access to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think that links back, there's a lovely link between RQ and HQ, resilience and health, in that some people can be very, or see themselves as very resilient, in other words, they keep going, but actually, you need to have a recognition of when it's too much, and mm. when you do need help, and, and who you need to talk to, and where you need professional help, whether I, I've had some, over the years with some of the dramas I've had, I've had some very good um cognitive behavioral therapy which has been really good for me or I have a, a fellow coach where I coach them and they coach me or I'm a coaching supervisor where I I help coaches who are going through their own stuff as they're coaching a client they've got to make sure their stuff it keeps out of the way you know when's it your stuff when is it theirs I think this whole area of of recognizing that you can have very high levels of apparent resilience and he, he can cope with lots of stress but then suddenly there's a breakdown. And, and I knew someone who ran an actuarial practice in the city of London, and they were, they were never addressing their own personal issues and stuff going on. Work, 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 made it to the top, and then bang, they came crashing down, had a complete mm. breakdown. And the only thing they could do is walk other people's dogs because they did, and just sit at home on the sofa like this, just staring at the, yeah. the TV. And what a shame that they never addressed any of the underlying issues or sought help earlier on and it just got to a catastrophic failure. And men, not only are we known for being violent, but we also do violence to ourselves. And normally, uh, you know, that the suicide rates is very high. And in, in my background in the forces, mm. talking to American officers, they have a very high problem with suicide by ex-forces people who've given their all to their country. And then when they're on their own and not part of a team, they take their own life because they don't know where to seek help. They're too proud. Uh, yeah. it's it's a fascinating area going on to maybe Brad. maybe just sorry just yeah, well, yeah like, pick up you, you just maybe think there as well while you were talking like like this was just just different challenges and levels of challenge in our life as well you know like, like my my problems are pretty small so it's easy for me to be sort of future looking and in, in overcoming those like i suppose i think my uncle that i mentioned uh, earlier on that passed away and like he was diagnosed with a terrible degenerative illness so it's very hard to be forward looking on something like that but he was he was very resilient through all of that and never complained and it, it goes back to some of your point like he was still he was he was very realistic about what was ahead of him and accepted it um and you know then managed to to make the best of it that he could yeah you you've reminded me of my my brother david who died a couple of months ago and it was only 10 weeks from diagnosis that he had metastatic cancer throughout his whole body to when he died and he was incredibly resilient and we had a number of conversations very very deep meaningful conversations and 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 really quite tear-jerking but he he was quite stoic in his philosophy that I, I can't control what's happening to my body but I can control what I think about and how I act in my you know final stages so there's this idea of the stoics which I admire about a good having a good life but also a good death uh, mm. because we are all going to die so face into it and don't be in denial about it 
Um, is, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah. Brand is the penultimate, brand quotient. Um, what do you do, David, to, to make sure you're not living in a happy bubble of uh, newly painted toilets and everything's great uh, whenever you visit? Uh, what do you do to get 360 feedback from people who've coached you over the years? Um, well, yeah, well, we have sort of processes in, in the organisation, but you have to, like, I, I suppose I surround myself with, with people who challenge me and I, and I try and create that, that environment, um, you know, so even my sort of executive assistant, Donna, you know, like we have a very sort of straightforward and, and forthright relationship and she's not afraid to sort of call me up and things and we've plenty of rows and she'll annoy me from time to time, but then I'll, I'll sort of reflect on things that she's pointing out. So, you know, and this was another thing I've done throughout my career as well is, is, is sort of check in in the organisation. I, I found that helpful in two ways. Just one to connect you to what's going on, but, um, but certainly as you go higher up in the organisation and there is pressure for results and things like that, and you can worry an awful lot about things and, and you're only sitting there at your desk worrying about them, like it's not doing anything. But, but the more you can connect into the organisation, like not only does it sort of educate you on what's going on but it removes a lot of that worry because you just see the great work that people are doing and mm. they're actually looking after all of those things and then um and then in my family life as well you know like breed has had a very sort of long and successful uh, career as well um but you know it just it's it's in it's in her nature again we've a very sort of normal re relationship and and life and all of that so so that helps me keep my feet on the ground i think and then you know I suppose I'm in this role for a while and, and I have enjoyed a lot of success, but like most of my life has been very normal and even it still is totally normal. You know, like I've grown up in a middle class background. It's it's still the same life I feel that I had all along, you know, so mm. I don't feel I live in a rarefied bubble, even though maybe I do. I, I sounds like you, you were very fortunate, but you've created a lot of your fortune. You made me smile when you were talking about, I think your EA, was it Donna? Um, yeah. And, and um, how she's very challenging of you. Uh, years ago, when I was an army officer, I was terribly chuffed with myself in a rather arrogant way at the time that I became the chief of staff of the army's largest brigade. And I thought I'd arrived. I worked to this brigade commander and I was a major chief of staff and in charge of all the 120 staff. And he had a, a, an EA and uh, Sheila and um, uh, I, I was throwing my weight around a bit about how things were going to go. And, and I somehow was not kind of connecting with her. And uh, I, eventually I went in to see her. I said, Sheila, I think I started on the wrong foot a couple of months ago. And I apologize. Here are some chocolates and some flowers. Can we start again? Because I realize now, and I've been told that you have had uh, eight brigadiers that you've looked after and you've had 15 chief of staffs. And I'm just another one of them. So actually, yeah. I do realize that in many ways you run the brigade rather than yeah, I thought I ran I'm the brigade. Just passing through. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, and you've got a lot of wisdom. So would you help me? And I'm sorry. And she went, Yes, you've said the right thing. I will help you. <laughs> and she did yes, after that, which was great. Um, Legacy is the last of the, uh, of the trip around the compass before we go into executive teams and books and uh, your top tip. But uh, Legacy, of course, is. The difference you make to other people after you've gone, uh, after you've died, or after you finish as president and COO, that you've made things better than you found them, and people go, actually, they they left a good legacy. 
what's your own view on on leaving a legacy in your job or in your life yeah it's, it's mixed like so so i think it's important um and i think it is very important to have that attitude like you're you're in a job for a period of time and, and you're the holder of an office or whatever for a while and you you want to leave that sort of in a better state than, than, than when you got it and again you should never I think in that space criticize what's gone before you know you'll always get something that's not perfect and you will always pass it on sort of not perfect either but 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 your job is 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 to make it better um you know and for me it's it's connecting the organization to our broader sense of purpose and and what we do for society and and really having that culture within the organization that, that we're doing a good job for our customers and building out things properly and then you know there's lots of things within just making your organization fit for purpose and building for the future and and getting that attitude into the team then like I am surrounded by fantastic people and great people who work for me so that's easy and that's there but you're just trying to encourage that and emphasize that all the time and then finally I'm just reminded of a parable from the bible as well it was about a priest that ran a synagogue and and when he died he was sort of very disappointed with um God's sort of reaction on his job but it was because he invested too much of his in his job and he saw that his life was his job and it's it's your life isn't that and you shouldn't over invest either in in legacy actually because you are just doing this for a period of time and do your best but don't be over consumed by it either correct do your job and don't make it your whole life um yeah. and this is i think is a problem particularly for men is their identity is their job so you know i am david harney i'm the president and when they and when they retire from that job, it's often quite hard for people because they feel they've lost their identity. Whereas actually, in my case, I'm a, a father, a son, a brother, uh, a husband, a, a grandfather, um, a father, you know, all, all these different jobs, as well as being a coach to CEOs and presidents and boards, but and a broadcaster. But those are just jobs I'm doing for now. And I think it's important that we 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 think of the holistic. Uh, point and this idea about leaving things better than you found them and particularly contributing to the community and society which you've touched on so mm. rightly so many times and and we do need people who see this this bigger community and we've got to look after the environment we're in you're you're so right David let's go on to teams you you've worked with teams you've led many teams you've got your own team looking back over your career what bit of wisdom would you give to people when you've um, got a team which has a bit of toxicity in it, that the culture's not kind of right. How have you helped make it from an, uh, an unhealthy culture, maybe even toxic, to a healthy culture? What's your tip? Um, I'd probably, I've never led a toxic team. So like, certainly there are some changes you need to make to teams and, and sometimes just people don't fit in and, and just the role isn't, isn't right or, or they're sort of personality isn't, isn't right so 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 like as a leader you, you have to be proactive in informing the team and, and there'll, there'll be times when you need to make changes and, and that can be a little bit uncomfortable but I, I, I think you know over time you realize that that's your job and, and you just have to do that so so certainly you have to take action there from time to time um like that's that's probably the core one. Like I think you need to be conscious of balance in a team and, and the makeup and, and you're trying to construct a, a highly motivated team. And um, you know, you're like certainly my role in leading teams is is to is to sort of support uh, the people that are on their team and, and set them up 
for our success. Yeah, and 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 the timing of it is a very important point. Um, and I just wondered your view on: Do you act? Uh, if you look back over it, have you sometimes acted too late? That you you kept a person in the wrong role, they weren't performing well. You tried it for a bit, but you sort of didn't act on it. Or sometimes when you've acted too early, you know, have you ever got it just right? I mean, what's what's been your experience? No, like my, I'm 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 probably my one weakness is like I I don't like confrontation and and I try to avoid it. So you know the the sort of good side of that is you know I, I work sort of well with lots of people and I'm, I'm sort of good I think at seeing outside my own agenda but but the weakness of that is, is sometimes avoiding confrontation or, or difficult things so no certainly my tendency would be to leave these things too long rather than do them early. Yeah and, and I think back to my time as a managing director when um, when I eventually did get rid of the person and help them find their happiness elsewhere that people went, you know, thank God you've done that. Why did you wait so long? Because it, it sort of undermined us all because we were working hard, but they were, they were taking the mickey and, uh, and were oxygen thieves. But yet you will allow, you tolerated, you tolerated yeah. them and you shouldn't have tolerated them so long. I think it's a good point. Um, you love your reading. Uh, you've talked about your maths, English, your Latin uh, and, and the, the wide reading you do. Is there a book on leadership that you've read in the last year or two that you'd recommend as a really good read for people listening? Um, yeah, I, I haven't read too many business books, actually, and I don't. So, so there isn't a leadership book uh, that I'd recommend. And, and actually, one of the things I've enjoyed, um, and it's probably to do with technology, is like I probably don't... I, my learning comes from not so much reading as just accessing core. Like I love YouTube. Like it's just the amount of things you can look up anything on YouTube and I enjoy sort of lectures and, uh, and things like that. So, you know, there, there, there's lots of different things on leadership. Like I, I think balance is very important. So, um, and then again, as I've, I've gotten older, you know, it's, it's a sort of natural thing, balance and that balance is important, but, but there's understanding sort of, most of our weaknesses come from a strength overdone and you know so and it's it's even on tips you, you can give out a tip but any tip overdone is is a weakness as well so so balance is a very important thing and yeah. um i think that's an important thing in 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 leadership um like again i mentioned like i did a short course on henry the fifth recently so he was a, a very interesting leader and a very charismatic leader but but it was an interesting thing in that play it, it probed his his motivation and maybe a lot of the motivation there was was actually quite dark and yeah. you know so it was but it's a, it's a very interesting study on on leadership yeah yeah, yeah no, henry henry the fifth always was and, and, and to the breach dear friends once more yeah uh, and um but yeah he was trying to sort it up with their english dead that wasn't so good i'm not sure um yeah but no a, a very interesting one so um if you'd be so kind david to end with the introduction again of yourself uh, your role and then what your two minute top tip would be that would be a lovely way to end okay i'm david harney i'm president and chief operating officer for great west life co europe and so that covers our businesses in uh 
United Kingdom, uh, Germany and Ireland. Um, I suppose there's there's lots of tips I could give as a leader and it's it's hard to, to give one. Um, I think my tip would be it's not to take yourself too seriously and, and see sort of outside of yourself. So um, certainly I think that's helped me a lot in my career and it's probably where I am, um, you know, relative to some of my peers uh, maybe. So, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of ambitious and driven, but um, I do sort of see beyond that, and I work very well with other people, and certainly that's a big help in or, in, in an organisation. And even as I look at my own people that work for me, I love seeing people that think outside of their own business and outside of their own ambition and contribute to the team. So if you can really, we like seeing that in other people, but it's hard to do it yourself. Yeah, great tip, David. Thank you very much for being on the Inspiring Leadership series. It's been a real pleasure and good luck with your business. Thanks very much, Jonathan. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you gonna do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.